0: My hope is that this podcast will offer some encouragement, a few laughs, and even some hope for the future. This is After Four, and these are your stories. Hello to all you alumni out there. We're back with another episode of After Four, the podcast for InterVarsity alumni, just like you. I'm your host, John Steele, and I'm glad you're here. So how's everybody feeling post-March Madness? How'd your brackets do? I did pretty poorly this year, which is normal. Except for that one time in my college health class where I won the class bracket challenge and got extra credit added to my grade. Man, those were the days, but never again since. Hey, congrats to the South Carolina Gamecocks winning the women's tournament. Congrats to Coach Staley for her second championship win. That's pretty exciting, especially when you consider the coach you're facing off against is 11-0 in the championship game. That's not intimidating at all. Amazing stuff. Way to go, South Carolina. Now, I totally wrapped this episode before the men's championship game last night, so I actually have no idea what happened as I'm recording this, but with my years of presenting in grad school, teaching as an adjunct faculty, leading worship, and discipling students on campus, I've gotten pretty good at talking around a topic that I know nothing about without being found out. So, I think you're going to be impressed with my thoughts on the game. Here you go. And how about that NCAA men's championship game, huh? Wasn't it exciting slash standard slash boring for a championship game? I can't believe that one shot from a challenging location in the beginning slash middle slash end. And what about that one really questionable slash really great call that totally changed the tide or solidified the one team's fate? Pretty great news for North Carolina slash Kansas. Maybe next year, North Carolina slash Kansas. Basketball. That's pretty good, huh? Well... Let's turn our attention from the end of one March extravaganza to another, from the end of March Madness to the end of Lent. It's hard to believe that we're just about a week away from entering into Holy Week. And in preparation for that time, I have another great interview for you with Alumni Relations Director Jason Gabry. You may remember last month when we talked together about Lent, its origins, its practices, and why it's worthwhile to engage with. Well this month Jason and I are coming together again, this time for a two-part episode about Palm Sunday and the special days of Holy Week. What do these days and the elements included in them represent? Why do we celebrate them in the church calendar? What does it look like to engage with them? We're going to talk about all these things and more. I loved talking about it and I think you'll enjoy the conversation as well. Like I said, we already did an episode with Jason back in early March, so for a full introduction to him and his family and what he does with Intervarsity, go back and listen to our Lent episode. Then, settle in and enjoy the first part of our Holy Week conversation as we talk about Palm Sunday, Maundy Thursday, and just tease the intro to Good Friday. Okay, here it is, my conversation with Jason. Enjoy. Jason. Morning. Welcome back. Yeah. This is pretty cool. You know, we've done a couple of two-part episodes, but you hold the special honor of being the first guest to come back for a brand new episode or two. So... Welcome and glad that you're here.
1: I'm so glad to be here. I think it's important for your listeners to know that even though I'm your boss, you
0: <laughs> invited me back. I did. <laughs> I didn't invite <laughs> myself back. So, yeah, no, I'm glad to be here. I had a great time. Yes, you're right. I did invite you. That could still have my own things at work. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't, <laughs> though. I invited you back because I think our Lent episode was, as I said a number of times, fascinating. And I thought it would be fun to just do something similar again as we continue down this path from Lent into Holy Week. But just really quickly before we jump into that, just in case somebody's listening to this episode, didn't get a chance to go back and listen to Lent, would you just give us a quick introduction, Jason, remind us who you are one more time? Sure. My name is Jason Gabriel. I serve
1: as the National Director for Alumni Relations with InterVarsity, and I'm John's
0: boss. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Awesome. You hit the most important parts. If you want a full introduction, like we said, Jason did an episode with us about Lent, go back, listen to that episode. You can hear a bit more. But Jason, why don't we jump into Holy Week? After all of this time that we've spent in Lent, what is our posture? What's our mindset making the transition from those rhythms into the rhythms of Holy Week? Is there some sort of impact that Lenten practices should have on us that inform the way that we enter into Holy Week? A lot of people actually think that Lent goes
1: all the way through to Easter. And a lot of people don't realize that Lent actually ends on the Wednesday of Holy Week. And so you're pretty astute. Uh, One of the things we didn't talk about about who I am and my kind of religious background is I'm a member of the Anglican Order of Preachers and come from a liturgical tradition and have thought about this steeped in that, which is why we're talking about these kinds of things. But this is the kind of question that makes me want to say, hey, John, have you ever considered becoming Anglican? Um, (laughs) This is so great. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a really stupid question. Okay, so lent goes through Wednesday of Holy Week. And after that, we have what we call the Triduum, the, the three days, three holiest days in the Christian calendar. And then there's the joyful celebration of Jesus's resurrection that leads us into a whole new season, the season of Easter. But to your question, what difference does that make? In Lent, we focus on rhythms of fasting and prayer and almsgiving, all of which the goal is to help us pay attention to Jesus and make more space in our daily rhythms for Jesus's transformation in our lives. And the reason that's important is because when we get to Holy Week, when we get to the Triduum, the 3 days where we're really focusing in on Jesus's passion, what we're going to do is we're going to imaginatively and symbolically enter into that with Jesus. And so you can look at it and you can think, well, Holy Week is more of the same of Lent, paying attention to Jesus and intentionally making space for that, but in other ways it's more focused. The best way I can Think of it is if you're going to train for a run, you don't start out training for a 5K by running 5K, especially if you've never run before. You start out walking, jogging, little by little, adding a little distance, doing some cross training, doing some speed drills, doing these different kinds of things, and little by little building up your strength and you're practicing your endurance. But then when race day comes, you give it your all. You're fully invested. Holy Week is like that. In Lent, we've been paying attention, we've been reflecting on scripture, we've been fasting, we've been giving alms, but now it's Holy Week. We're all in and we're going to experience this and we're going to meditate on it. We're going to
0: imaginatively relive what Jesus walked through during these days. So then let's talk about Palm Sunday. This is kind of our first stop along the way. Just give us a really quick overview. And then I have some some questions for you about what goes on during (laughs) Palm Sunday. (laughs) Sure. Palm Sunday is really the communal signal that we're switching time. It
1: marks we've been in Lent. We are moving into Holy Week. That's probably the
0: simplest way I can talk about the function of Palm Sunday and how it works out. So then there's a few elements and vibes going on during Palm Sunday that I want to ask a little bit about. There's a word and there's a symbol that comes up. The word is Hosanna and the symbol is a palm branch. Can we break down those two pieces? Why are those included in Palm Sunday?
1: Yeah, that's great. Hosanna literally means save us. So, When we sing or we chant or we say Hosanna, what we're saying is, save us. And in the scriptures, Jesus is making his entrance in Jerusalem. The crowd around is saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. They're saying, save us, save us. Now, what's really interesting is that Hosanna that they were singing is a part of the liturgy that. They would say on pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Passover. They see the city and they see the city of God. They see the city of the historic kingdom of Israel. They know the prophetic works that God has promised to return to Zion. And so they make their trip. They go around the mountain. They see the city and they break out saying, Hosanna, save us, save us. And in the midst of that, at exactly the same moment, Jesus sits on a donkey and begins his procession into Jerusalem. And the people are saying, save us to to the Lord. And then they're also saying, save us to this figure because they know the scriptures, too, about the king returning to Zion, riding on a donkey. So all this symbolism kind of crashes together in the person of Jesus. Jesus is very intentionally using the liturgy to send a very clear signal that this long-awaited hope, this long-awaited expectation of the king returning to Zion, this is happening right now. And so that's what Hosanna is about. They're chanting Hosanna, save us, save us, save us. And Jesus is taking full advantage of that to signal who he is and what he's come to do. And then the reason people wave palm branches in the air is really the same reason we wave flags or team colors at a sporting event. It's a way of kind of generating attention and enthusiasm. Watch the crowd, the final four, and people have got signs and they've got streamers and they've got colors and they're shouting and they're waving them in the air basically to say go team <laughs> you know and what they're saying is save us save us save us save us save us now that sounds more like a soccer match than a church service but that's really the symbolism so I am an Anglican to pick on the Anglican tradition for a minute you know we're very staid we we're sort of Process with our palms and sort of Hosanna, you know, <laughs> like it, it doesn't sound or look anything like a soccer match or the final four, but that's the symbolism, that's what it historically is. It's that kind of singing or chanting,
0: waving the branches in the air, looking for the salvation of God. That's really interesting. Such a different view than many of my experiences on a Palm Sunday. Some of it's bringing one culture into another culture, things we don't really understand. And so I think most of the time we feel awkward doing anything that's really, you know, (laughs) anything that looks like we're really excited, we get self-conscious about that. So Jason, as you're talking, there's two other things that I remember coming up in the story that I didn't ask you to prepare for. So if this doesn't work, we'll just jump right over it. But one is Jesus on a dump donkey. That just sounds like, I mean, somebody riding in on a horse feels like something that a champion would do is riding in on a horse as opposed to a donkey. And the other is I remember in the story, them talking about laying their cloaks out on the ground as he was riding through Now, those two images right there. Is there anything significant or worth understanding as far as those two pieces of the story?
1: So, the donkey is because it's a quote from Zechariah 9 9, where it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king is coming to you, righteous and victorious, humble, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so, part of what's going on here is Jesus is fulfilling. Zechariah 9.9 and that's important because of the claim that Jesus is making. Jesus is making the same claim he makes in Luke 4. This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing today and it's happening through me and it's happening right now. So that's why the donkey is important. There are people who read and speculate about why a donkey and not a horse, if I geek out for a minute, all the way back in the Torah I'm forgetting where, but there's a line about what the kings of Israel are not supposed to do. And one of the things that kings of Israel are not supposed to do is acquire horses. And part of that is the kings of Israel are supposed to be different from the kings of the world. The kings of the world acquire horses because of their military advantage. The kings of Israel are supposed to rely on the Lord for their military advantages. And so, You see some of this in the symbolism and in the tradition that comes all the way through. And so I think Zechariah knows that. Zechariah knows the Torah. I think Jesus knows that. He knows the Torah. And so it's a clever application of the symbolism. And you're absolutely right. The symbolism gets deep. You may know the scripture, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the Lord our God right?
0: Oh, man.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's all of that. It's all that stuff. And it's in play in this wonderful little image. Putting the coats on the road is like rolling out the red carpet at the Oscars. It goes all the way back to what John the Baptist was preaching when he says, prepare the way of the Lord It's the same symbolism. When a king comes to town, you get the roads ready so that the king's way is not impeded. But it's also your way of showing off your town, of providing hospitality and welcoming the king. Best way I can illustrate it is when the Olympics comes to town, cities invest heavily in making sure that their cities look really good because the world is coming to town. They see what's happening. They see the prophet from Nazareth, who has a reputation for teaching with authority, healing the sick and the blind. And some even say he's raised the dead. And now this same prophet's sitting on a donkey and we're waving our branches and we're chanting Hosanna, Hosanna. We're caught up in this moment. It is a reflexive move for the pilgrims to take their cloaks and their coats and lay them down on the road to make the way straight so that the king messiah can come into the city.
0: Okay. So I've said this a hundred times before, and I'm going to say it again. This is all fascinating, (laughs) man. I think I said this last time, but this is the stuff that I love about context and understanding elements of the culture of the day, because gosh, it just brings these practices so much more to life. It makes so much more sense Okay, so you're talking about this huge to-do, rolling out the red carpet, chanting, save us, save us, recognizing that this is somebody who's making claims for the throne. And yet my understanding is that people didn't actually get the kind of king that Jesus was announcing himself to be. So there's really two different celebrations that are going on here. The one that Jesus is doing is right. The one that these people are doing is misguided and they're misunderstanding. So this is an interesting juxtaposition to me, of worshiping Jesus as king, but not actually knowing what kind of king he was and what he was about to do. So most Palm Sundays feel like this sort of celebratory event. But should there be a sense of sadness in the midst of recognizing that, wow, they didn't get it? And so how often do we not get it?
1: That's a great question, John. In many church traditions, Palm Sunday is also Passion Sunday. So, on the one hand, we're waving the palms and we're putting ourselves imaginatively in that space saying, Save us, save us, you know, here's the king. But then on Passion Sunday, we read the story of Jesus' arrest, trial, and crucifixion. It's the same people who say, Save us, save us, save us, on the way into Jerusalem, who later in Jesus' Passion chant, Crucify him, crucify him. You know, my church tradition, we often start Palm Sunday by parading around with palms and singing as we enter into the worship space. We don't quite get the crowd (laughs) energy, but we do it. We participate in it. But then once we're there, once we're all gathered into the worship space, the liturgy is different because it begins with a reading of Jesus's time in Jerusalem, starting with a triumphal entry into Jerusalem and then Jumping ahead into Jesus's arrest and his trial and his crucifixion. And so you sort of start with the celebration and expectation, and then you end with the passion. And you're the same crowd. You enter the worship space singing Hosanna. And then at the appropriate point, because the reading is participatory, the crowd chants, Crucify Him. Wow. And it can be very, very moving, but you're marking this transition. He is the King, He is the Messiah. And yet, The kind of Messiah, the kind of king he is, he's not going to seize the throne with military power. He's going to be exalted on a cross and stretch his own body between heaven and earth.
0: That's really interesting because I can identify with Hosanna, Hosanna, singing the Lord's praises, and I can identify with places of reflection, repentance, but as a church community calling out, crucify him, crucify him, that is not an experience that I've ever had. And that would be... That would really be something. What a powerful moment for those final days of Lent then as you get ready to step into official Holy Week celebrations. and Wow, that's sort of a mind-blowing experience to consider there. Okay, so then let's keep walking. We hear lots about Palm Sunday. We hear lots about... Thursday through Easter Sunday. What about Monday through Wednesday? When I was emailing with you, I think you thought this was a joke that I was making, but I did just a little bit of research myself, believe it or not. I'm working on being a good journalist. And I saw that there was something called Spy Wednesday. Again, it's probably different depending on the church tradition, but is there anything as far as the broader church experience that Monday through Wednesday, does that represent anything specific other than, okay, these are your final days of Lent. Continue to focus on those practices.
1: Yeah, that's really fun. I've never heard of Spy Wednesday before. So this is new. I get to learn something new. I did think it was a joke. I was thinking, okay, we'll have mischievous Monday and terrible Tuesday and Witness Wednesday. But no, I've always experienced these last days of Lent as transition time, as kind of a liminal space between Palm Sunday
0: and Monday Thursday. But I need to do now some more research, figure out Spy Wednesday. What's Spy Wednesday about? The little bit that I read is that it is spending time considering Judas. Oh, okay. But that's the day for recognizing him going to, uh, who is it that he talks to? <laughs> the chief priests. Yes, he goes to the chief priests and basically comes up with this plan to hand Jesus over. That he's sort of the spy that they send into Jesus' ranks in preparation for handing him over. Wow,
1: that's really interesting. Huh. Well, yeah, you know more about Spy Wednesday than I do. So that's great. I got to look
0: into that. Uh, the one time ever. The one time ever that's that I'll know something true. more than you. <laughs> not true. <laughs> Okay, so that Monday through Wednesday, we'll say generally this is a time for coming out of Palm Sunday, identifying with this crowd in unique ways and preparing for the end of Lent into officially Holy Week. Then we step into Maundy Thursday. Now, Maundy Thursday, this is over the last few years, is new. new, I had never heard of Maundy Thursday, had no idea what Maundy even means. So can you give us just an overview of Maundy Thursday? And can you tell us particularly why Maundy? What is Maundy?
1: Sure. What's Maundy? Who is Maundy? Maundy Thursday comes from the Latin word mandatum. It's the same root from which we get the English word mandate. And the the reason that Maundy Thursday is called Maundy Thursday is because in John 13, which is the Last Supper, after Jesus strips down, wraps a towel around himself, washes his disciples' feet, he then says to them, I'm giving you a new commandment, a new mandate in Latin that you wash one another's feet and that you love one another. And so Maundy Thursday is called that because Jesus' mandate. And Maundy Thursday celebrates multiple things. It celebrates the commandment of Jesus to love others. And so historically, churches celebrate Maundy Thursday by making gifts to the poor. In Lent, we talked about almsgiving. Historically, Maundy Thursday gifts to the poor are not those secret, quiet, Anonymous gifts. These are larger gifts that you might make to the poor as a way of reflecting Jesus's command to love and serve one another as he has loved and served us. Some churches actually do a foot washing, a literal foot washing, as a part of their service. My church tradition does that. We wash each other's feet. It's the only time in the year that we do that. And that can be really moving to have your feet washed by a member of the church. You know, we don't typically have other people wash our feet. The other thing that Maundy Thursday celebrates is the institution of the Eucharist or Holy Communion. And so it's the same night that Jesus was betrayed and the same night that Jesus washes his disciples' feet. He institutes the sharing of Holy Communion, this bread, this body, take it in remembrance of me. And then, because our church is the way it is, we strip all the communion elements, all of the vestments and the the candles and the linen cloths. kind of set aside the front of the worship space. We take all that down and remove it from the physical space. And then we carry in from the back of the room a big cross and put that at the center of our worship space to prepare for Good Friday. It can be a very tactile service, but what you're doing is you're moving from this is my commandment, love each other. And then you share a meal together, which you love each other by gathering around the same table, by being one body and sharing in one bread and being the community around Jesus. But then we begin to reflect on greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for their friends. And so that's kind of the inner emotional relational logic of Maundy Thursday. And it can be a very tactile, very concrete physical expressions of worship. In that space,
0: I really like that. I feel like so often our services are very much these sort of heady experiences, internal, but also communal experiences that we have together, but have those elements that you're actually engaging with physically, you know, communion is something that we engage with physically. Baptism is something that we engage with physically, but to have some of these additional elements that are included, that's really interesting in a way that makes this service feel and this day feel like something unique and something that you don't experience very often. Like you said, literally washing each other's feet. What a unique experience that most of us haven't gotten to have. Now I have to ask, do your children go and search for the hidden yeast ball in this service? In our service,
1: We do not. But I know some churches do that. And the reason they're doing that is because of the traditions around Passover. Obviously, the Eucharist was a reinterpretation of the Pascha, the Passover meal. And so some churches, as they've sought to express and enter into that imaginative walking through this time with Jesus, have incorporated
0: pieces of that liturgy. But in our tradition, we don't. But I've heard of that. I've never experienced it myself. A church that I went to in the past, we did a Seder service on Maundy Thursday, which was fascinating because they went through and explained each of the elements that we were experiencing, what those symbols represented. And that was one of the rhythms that they talked about, that there are places where this is included because of the representation of yeast and sin, that those are symbols that are tied together and Hiding it, searching for it, rooting it out, getting rid of it. Kind of silly sounding to some extent, but also, again, these really interesting elements, these interesting symbols that add so much to these fascinating celebrations. Oh, I said it again. These celebrations. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Okay, so Maundy Thursday, we have this tactile communal experience where we celebrate the Eucharist or Holy Communion. Maybe in some places you wash feet in the service that I was a part of. We shined each other's shoes. That was the the way that we did that, which was the closest. That was for sure the best we were going to be able to get people to do. But you have have this tactile communal response and then leading us into Good Friday. Let's talk a little bit about Good Friday. And Jason, feel free to take the floor here and explain Good Friday. Friday, But somewhere in there, can you explain why? Why good? I mean, (laughs) it seems like kind of a bad day. So why good Friday? Oh, what a cliffhanger. Let me just tell you that Jason's answer is fantastic. You're not going to want to miss it next week. So make sure you come on back and catch the rest of this conversation. If you can't tell, I really love talking about these things. There are many reasons why, not the least of which is that I think it's really easy to go with the flow of a church calendar, acknowledge the days that come up over the course of the year, and still have absolutely no idea why they matter. My hope for you as you're listening to these episodes is that it helps break through some of the mystery that can sometimes surround church holidays and make them more accessible. We know that connecting with a church community after college is already tough. Add in the seemingly cryptic language and practices around days like Palm Sunday and Maundy Thursday and so on, and it can all seem even more challenging. I hope episodes like these help lend a hand for creating more clarity, better connections in your post-college church communities, and a more meaningful walk to the cross and beyond with Jesus. If episodes like this are something that you're enjoying, send us a message or let us know in the comments. What other church practices could we talk about to demystify and make more accessible for you? I'd be really interested to know. All right, friends, that's it for this week. Come back next time for the rest of my chat with Jason. We'll hear about why Good Friday is good, what we're supposed to do on Saturday, and why Easter is a season and not just a day. Make sure you subscribe and turn on notifications on your favorite podcast platform, follow us on socials at After4Pod, and share with your friends. I hope you have a great week and a better informed Palm Sunday. Until next time, I'll see you in the after, alumni.